Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Six Cells podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Nicholson and I'm delighted to welcome three absolutely stellar guests to the show today. Uh, we have Nicola Wardell, from, uh, who's the MD of the internal agency at Specsavers. We have Richard Kanalik, who's head of programmatic at Vodafone, and Rich Coles, who is the owner, founder um, of Traffic Rich. So um, if I could ask you all, please, just to give us um, 60 seconds or so introduction to yourselves, what you what you do currently, um, and uh, a little bit about your backgrounds. And Nicola, if we could start with you, please. No worries. Uh, morning, everybody. So um, I have been at Specsavers for a year tomorrow, actually. It's my anniversary. Um, and I moved to Specsavers after about 25 years, giving my age away, um, of working in external agencies um, in London. Um, I'd done two years client side in my early 30s where I worked at BA. But apart from that, I grew up in kind of what was known then as below the line agencies. So sales promotion, CRM agencies, moved client side for a couple of years and then joined WPP where I was for about 14 years. Um, worked at uh, part of um, Ogilvy and then I moved to Gray where I was for nine years. So across that career, worked on a huge amount of food and drink, which was fabulous. Did a lot of um, both below the line integrated and then um, big uh, ad accounts when I was at Gray. Uh, working on McVitie's, Procter & Gamble, GSK, moved to Havas for three years, um, following Chris Hurst when he moved over from Grey to Havas, um, and then was really looking for something different. And I was looking to move client side, but thought, how can I use what I know and what I love to move into a client side organisation? And then the spec servers job description landed on my lap, and here I am. Fantastic. Thank you, Nicola. Uh, Richard, um, I'm going to say Richard Kanalik just because I want to say the full name because we've got a Richard and a Rich. So I want people to get used to your name and your voice so they know who's speaking uh, later on. So Richard, over to you, sir. No worries. Thanks, Mike. And, and you've got the pronunciation right as well, which not many people can do. So oh, amazing. So welcome. More luck than judgment, but I'll take it. <laughs> so I, I head up uh, programmatic for the UK at Vodafone and I have been there for just over a year. Uh, we, 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 well, we bought, bought all uh, biddable media buying in-house. So that's what we've been focusing on for the last 12 months and, and going forward, we're obviously trying to, trying to amplify and sophisticate what we do and, and bring everything up to speed with the innovation that's happening in the industry today. Um, before my role client side, I had spent six or seven years agency side. I started at uh, the largest independent agency in the UK, which is the Seven Stars. And I spent four years there working within programmatic, social and ad ops. I then moved over to Omnicom Media Group, so the holding agency, and worked centrally across um, the different agencies within there, and also spent some time within PhD itself, um, working across you know all different disciplines from audio, video um, to display, and then yeah, here I am, agent, uh, client side. Amazing, thanks, Richard, um, and and welcome. And Rich, last but by no means least, um, could you give us uh, sixty seconds on your good self, sir? Hi all. So I run uh, run Traffic Rich uh, in the in the UK. We uh, look after agencies and publishers, and, and more recently clients direct. Uh, I started off in uh, Zenith Optimedia in '99, or Optimedia as it was then. Uh, set up Traffic Rich in in 2005, and uh, and we've continued to grow since then. Thankfully, we've got very low staff turnover, so we we have a lot of the same staff we started with, uh, which is obviously quite key in. Uh, and unusual in what we do uh, but yeah big agencies small agencies big publishers small publishers and, and now increasingly uh, 
clients clients direct reaching out to us to to help with uh, with that with all things adults really both programmatic uh and display both publisher and you know df we do a lot of stuff in dfp and we do a lot of d lot of stuff in dcm and db360 and uh, and most of the pro programmatic techs are operating for someone on uh, on any given day now all the acronyms love it love it mm. welcome um thank you uh nicola richard and rich um and welcome. It was uh, it was brought to my attention recently that um, I always introduce everybody else and I don't introduce myself, um, which reminds me of my Interpol story, which I'm going to tell briefly. It's got absolutely nothing to do with in-housing, but it was kind of my maybe five seconds of fame uh, and I'm kind of holding on to it. So I was at Brixton Academy um, just before, well, actually during an Interpol gig. I was up the front, um, so it must have been a few years ago now. Um, and um, the lead singer, Paul Banks, was basically introducing the band. And he went round and he went, this is um, Sam, this is Guido, this is Dan. Um, and he was just about to start the next song and he hadn't introduced himself. And I know I'd probably had maybe one lag or too many. And I shouted out, what's your name then? And the whole place started laughing. He started laughing and he went, I'm Paul. And then they carried on. I was like, oh, my God, I've made it. Like, it, like Paul Banks like actually spoke to me, kind of. So, um, so with that in mind, I'm going to actually introduce myself uh, for once. So my name's Mike Nicholson. Um, I'm the founder of Six L's. Um, Six L's is a small but perfectly formed people marketing agency. Um, there's only three of us, uh, Karen, Joe, and myself. And between us, uh, we are old, uh, which means that we've got a combined 68 years of experience in both planning, buying, selling, and marketing media and ad tech. So we believe in people um, and that people like people. So what we do is we train client-facing people, whether that be the CEO, the sales team, the marketing team, or whatever, to build their personal brand and professional success by networking effectively on LinkedIn and other platforms. Um, the outcome of that is more attention, more awareness, and more interest in your products and services more often. And our clients, in their own words, have described our work as transformational and our results as sensational. So there you go. I introduced myself for once. So guys, welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about in-housing. Um, I've been in the industry for about 28 years, but I spent two years um, doing something slightly different. And it seemed that when I came back, everyone had in-housed like it, it seemed to happen really quickly um like it was like a kind of a, a thing that was kind of going to happen and then suddenly everyone was doing it um so what i wanted to start with is kind of the more human element really and ask you what are the cultural differences so obviously um nick uh, richard you've both worked at external agencies and you're now working um effectively at an you know, in an internal agency so i'd love to know a little bit about what the cultural differences are um of being in-house rather than outhouse if that makes sense. Nicola, should we go uh, to you first? I was going to say happy to start with that one. Um, so in terms of the broader organisation, um, and I've only experienced Specsavers, so I'm, I'm talking very much about the brand that the brand that I work with at the minute. If you feel a you, you feel the benefits of being a much bigger organization, I suppose, than you do when you're on agency side. So, you know, you have you have a partner across the organization for everything you want to do. You have an L&D partner. You have an employee relations partner. You have your finance business partner. So it, it, you just feel you're in a, I don't know, the 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 constellation of support you've got around you is much greater. So I think that's kind of generally whatever role I've moved into in Specsavers, I would probably feel that. Cultural differences within the agency, I think, are it's, it's the, the sense of partnership that you've got. 
Um, you know, we've the, the best client relationships I've ever had, regardless of where I've worked, have been about building partnerships. But it's it's proper authentic partnership because you've all got the same goal. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's not debate and there's not tensions and there's not conflicts that you need to resolve. But actually, everybody is pulling in the same direction. And that's that's refreshing. Awesome. Thank you. Richard? Yeah, no, I'd echo um, what Nicola was saying about everyone working to a common. I feel like agency side, I often refer to them having moved away as the point solution. Everyone's kind of in different teams, but have the common goal of of working towards what, what the client wants, which is obviously you, ha- you have your brainstorming sessions and you come away with a plan and working in a much bigger organisation, you have you have the media activation side of it, which everyone's obviously in agreement with, but then you have the broader the broader business and organization and they're kind of working on their own projects and stuff so it takes i think it takes a little bit more kind of time and effort and resource to maybe pull, pe- pull people together and make sure people are going the right direction and then put that plan in place because i think without that kind of plan and and that kind of roadmap as to where you want to go with the product or the segment that, you, that you're working on i think sometimes ideas uh um and innovation can can but i can see where potentially it can get lost so i think there's definitely more um uh, resource and collaboration needed on that front um in, in terms of culture though I've, I've found you know um everyone's kind of still putting in the same direction and i think you've got all, all our whole biddable team our ex-agency and, and you can really tell where the agency have come from agency and and people who have never worked at agency so there's finding that middle ground again it's like a home from home yeah yeah like a home from home yeah exactly so i think it's just um I think educating people because what I've noticed uh, as well is media, uh, media activation is, is a lot different from from well, obviously, but marketing. But obviously, the the more technical media side of things, um, which come to the forefront a lot, agency side and as they would do, um, again can can sometimes uh, get get lost in the whole the bigger media piece. So it's just making sure that you you have the platform to. Uh, uh, showcase what you're doing from a media side of things, and then for them to understand how much work goes into to that element of of the role, not not just seeing the end product. Yeah, I guess the other focus um, for for you both as well that will be different from agency to to client side is you can focus fully on one client like 100 percent of your time, right? I, I guess in agencies yeah. you must be getting pulled all over the place, and you're you're working on this, yeah. and then you're working on this, and then you're working on this, and you know the switching costs of trying to go from one client to another to another must be challenging. I would say so. Is that a is that a blessing or a curse? Having just because uh, obviously those variety is the spice of life. So on one hand, yeah. maybe that's a nice thing, but I, I think but also- it's la- I think it's largely a blessing. So we were talking about this the other day, all of us that had worked in external agencies, none of us miss, miss pitching. So that's, that's a kind of big, um, and it's brilliant being able to get under the skin of the one brand that you work with. And actually the further under the skin you get and under the bonnet you get, um, you realize that there is still diversity in the sort of briefs that come through because there's so many facets to the business. Um, so you're swapping breadth for depth, I think. But the challenge, certainly for us, is how you then really overinvest in bringing the outside in, because that doesn't naturally happen by osmosis the way it would in an agency, because you've got 25 different pieces of business that people are talking about and thinking about. Yeah. Also, uh, Mike, you said that when you, you over a couple of years, it seemed like everyone was in housing stuff. It's sort of changed now as in sort of, Five years ago, when people first started talking about this, they'd hire like one account director from an agency who would be spending all his time internal battles trying to prove 
what he was trying to do, why he was trying to do it. And I think agencies are a lot more on board. So clients are a lot more on uh, on board with that now and going, yeah, right, you want a team? Cool, let's get a team. It's less about educating the business internally about why and what the purpose is, uh, you know, and just getting feedback like, well, the agency used to deal with this. I don't see why we're changing. So I think it's it's moved on. It's moved on massively now. Yeah. So what would you say the key business challenges are that um, that brands are trying to solve when they when they look at in-housing? Um, if you take it up to the, the, the sort of like the top business challenge that they're actually trying to solve, I mean, we can see the tactical and, and strategic reasons for it. But what is the, the, the main goal that they that, that, you know, that they're looking for? I think I think ultimately, I mean, cost. Right. I mean, if you if you bring a in-house there's a lot more transparency in cost and fee saving so at the very top i i i would imagine it's a it's, it's a cost-cutting exercise right um but also i think more than that it's come around all at the same time you mentioned everyone's kind of doing it all at once i think it's because the education um and the knowledge and the skill set is, is out there in the industry whereas you know maybe four or five years ago it was still in its infancy programmatic as a as a as a entity so now that's out there that why not bring it in house and why not give it a go why not see if you can you know not trump what the agency are doing but but deliver that transparency to to the different stakeholders internally and and, and own and own that rather than kind of have to align in in some ways your your media objectives with what the agencies are but also, I think there's a, there's a, I think there's a lot of stuff being classed as in housing, and it's not, it's not so much all in housing as more ownership. You know, a lot of, a lot of brands want their, want an agency to, to do their planning and buying, or they want us to do their adopts. They don't want to take, they don't want to in house everything. They just want to in house it as an umbrella, I suppose, rather than leaving it all in a, in an agency group's hands, whether that be creative or media buying or an adopts and everything else. You know, you've got, you, you know, you've seen clients build their own SEO teams and now build their own programmatic teams. So therefore it makes a, makes us, it makes a great idea for them to own the tech stack so that it all fills into a centralized reporting and, and, and data solution. And therefore, you know, you, you leave your planning and buying with your agency and you leave this for that and it ends up with a bit of best in class. That's what we talk about, the hybrid model at Specsavers. Yeah. So so the, the history of Specsavers in-house is really different. They never, ever had a creative agency. So they're like they're, they're very, the original in-house agency. Um, they've never worked with an external agency who's driven um, their brand creatively. It's something that the business has always felt passionately about keeping in-house and online. But we work really hand-in-hand um, in hand with Manning Gottlieb, uh, with Tangerine, who's a social agency. Uh, with Wonderman Thompson, who give us digital support. So we've got a constellation of of support agencies around us, but almost opposite to how a lot of other in-house agencies have modelled. We've always owned the the brand creative. Yeah, that, that that's interesting, actually. I'm going to skip ahead to my fourth question because that kind of feeds beautifully, I think, into what you were saying there, Nicola. But in a hybrid model then, I'd I'd love to understand – who does what? So where does your work end and where does the agency's work start? And how do, how do those two things kind of coexist? Do you know, it's not that different from, because I, when I, in, in my WPP and Havas days, I ran integrated teams. So that was, you know, that was the kind of uh, my day job as it, 
as it was. And it's not that different from a normal agency integrated team, to be honest. So we are, we, we act, and, and this is the culture that I've been trying to drive. We, we act like we are, uh, you know, the agency, uh, the creative agency uh, that works in partnership with all of the other disciplines. So it's, it's very similar, you know, at the outset of an, of an initiative or a project, we'll agree who's doing what, when the handover pieces are. And um, I think, we are the brand guardians, but in the same way that a lot of creative agencies would be about a brand that they built and worked on for many years. So there's that piece of it. What we try to avoid and what I'm really passionate about avoiding is that our partner agencies don't feel they've got two sets of clients to jump through. Um, we, I want them to feel like they're working with an agency that they're partnering with to get to the right solution that we then take to our mutual stakeholders. That's the difference. And I think that's the pitfall to avoid in that agency constellation. Richard, are you? Um, did, did you say that Vodafone are like 100% in-house now? So you don't have the hybrid model? Did I hear we you? are. I, I guess the planning and the activation sits in-house, but not across, not outside of Biddable. So we we work as almost an extension of, of Cara's planning team, specialist team. So, yeah. um, and to keep that kind of holistic view as well, to echo again what Nicola was saying about not having two sets of clients to answer to, like we really want that kind of partnership feel to go to the mutual stakeholders with. So you'll have you'll have the internal uh, media team at, at Vodafone who, who, who give the uh, original uh, brief across above the line and below the line. And then, you know, Kara's comms teams will digest that, dissect it, speak to us as a specialist team, We'll work with them on a response across all the above the line, below the line. Then we'll go back uh, with kind of the the, the answer. So um, it's a hybrid model in that sense, and I think I think that is important to have the agency involved at that point and and throughout to, to help you with kind of the heavy lifting and you know the insights that we might might not have access to uh, sitting internally or the tools that you know are available to agencies and just the depth and breadth of knowledge um, agency side uh, too. Okay, so that's interesting. So, so is it? Do you feel that sometimes maybe the external agency is feeling that they want to go up the chain to, I don't know, the CMO or something because they feel that that's where the power is? Is that what you mean by not having two clients? That they kind of want to have one eye on perhaps? No, no, not at all. It's just that because you know, if we were an external agency, you would you would get in a room with your agency partners. You're all absolutely you know, on the same side, as it were, that's probably a, a poor articulation. And you take that, that recommendation of your plan to your client as one team. Um, that's, for me, still the best way of working. And that's, the, that's what I've tried to encourage with our agency partners, despite the fact that we're an in-house agency and we're all employed by Specsavers. I think that that's the critical thing. Whereas I suppose that what could go wrong is your agency partners feel that you're yet another client that they're answering to. So it's less about hierarchy. It's just about we don't want as an agency to be another hoop for our agency partners to jump through. We want to be a partner to help them get to the right solution. It's really nuanced, but I think it's just quite an important one to be aware of when you're in-house. Cool. Okay. Um, So... A friend of mine who will remain nameless works at um, a fairly large brand, which is um, considerably outside of London. Uh, and when I spoke to her about the possibility of in-housing, she said that there would be a worry that there'd be a talent problem. And what she meant by that is um, a lot of the, the the up-and-coming talent in programmatic will be working in agencies currently in London, and they'll have the London lifestyle, or at least they did have the London lifestyle until lockdown, in which case it doesn't really make any difference now. But 
you get my point. And so, and there's also a career progression within an, an agency environment and you can learn from other people and there's lots of diverse talent around. And, and if she's um, in a, an industrial estate miles outside of London, she, she worried that you might attract the talent in the first place, but there's nowhere for them to grow. There's no one for them to learn off around and you, and, and the churn might be, um, you know, might be big and, and people might not grow and, and they might not get the best talent. So, I mean, talent's just one um, thing that could be a, um, a potential challenge. Could you maybe talk a, a little bit more about some of the other pitfalls that you may have found or challenges that you may have come again, up against um, with, with the hybrid or the, the fully in-house model? From a, from, from a talent point of view, I, I, I get what she's saying. I, th I think um, there's more linear progression path in agency as as naturally there would be. Um, but I guess what, what the benefit that you, you would get working client side is there is a lot more exposure uh, and a lot more kind of freedom to explore the industry and have conversations you probably wouldn't be having unless you were kind of a little bit more senior uh, agency side. Um, so I think there's definitely scope to still grow when you're sitting at an advertiser side, but also it opens the opportunity to, to if you don't want to stay in programmatic or, or, or just to learn about how a business, more, more business minded, how business works and how the marketing side works. And you can take that skill set and kind of evolve it and move it into kind of um, the, the wider business. So, but, but I, I do get, I do get that um, initial point around um, moving to one advertiser. They're not working across, you know, if you're not in love with the advertiser, like, you know, if you're not in love with telecoms or specs waves, it might, it might, you might get to that point where you actually are. Why me? I want to go and work on another account. So, I guess it, it could be seen as a catch twenty two. But I think you've got to nurture the talent when they are sat uh, client side. But also, you've got guys that that work at agencies that are stuck on one client for, yeah. for, true. for That's five so true. years anyway, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know, you might not have that flexibility inside an agency. Mm. That's I so guess true. the concern was. I'm oh, sorry, Nicola. After you, after you. No, I was just going to say. I mean, we're we're in a, an interesting situation because we're based um, on Guernsey, which is an island. Um, so we have to work extra hard. And actually, I'm quite excited about the post-COVID recruitment market to see if that impacts people's openness to to coming to live outside of the city and by the sea. When do I um, start? <laughs> so um, I think we've definitely had a, an easier run of it uh, we I mean we have to do a few things we work really hard with local schools and colleges on the island to get entry-level talent um, we've got some brilliant um, examples of people who've joined us straight from school who've got stellar careers you know they are they've, they've got they're in their early 20s and they've got four or five winning spots under their belts so so I think you have you've got it's a it's a different recruitment conversation and when you're not in a major creative hub, um, we also obviously have to have conversations with people who maybe, and I use myself as an example, you hit a, a life stage or you, you are just more open minded to what um, an exciting role might look like. And you're prepared to move for that. Um, but what I would say to echo what, what Rich said, um, I've never been in an organisation that has spent so much time talking about career development as Specs has, and I've only been there for a year. I've worked in some fantastic agencies that have really promoted people and, and had brilliant stellar careers there, but certainly the Specs experience I've got is career development is, is critical and, and everyone has a succession plan and a, a career plan, and it, it's not just within the agency. To, to Rich's point, it's really exciting where you could go geographically where you could move within the broader marketing space or within general management so i think it's again it's that 
it, it's the breadth of opportunities that you've got within a bigger organisation that are really interesting. Are there any other challenges that you've come across um, as, as the, um, you know, as you've moved to a, like a, either a hybrid or, or a completely in-house model? Have you, is there any other things that perhaps don't work as well and, that, and you have to kind of work harder at? Um, you, you mentioned already that, um, you know, making sure that your external agency partners feel, you know, that, that collaboration and that sort of tight working relationship. Are there any other things, um, whether it be around um, trying to get your, your your data back in into some sort of shape when it was it used to live in an agency perhaps and now you're trying to kind of wrestle it back are there any other things that you've you've had to work harder at perhaps i think definitely yeah, the, the education piece i think when when um well for programmatic especially when it's sitting at an agency it, it can be a little bit of a black box uh as to what they're doing um and maybe rightly so like there's no there's no problem with that but in terms of then having that in-house and then for the wider stakeholders that you're going to be working with um for them to understand what you do and how you do it and you know slas and, and what takes time and, and and what this means i think those questions when that visibility becomes comes in house those questions become you know thick and fast and it's just i think the onus is on you for to organically try and you know let the wider business understand and know what it is you're trying to achieve whereas that's pretty clear when you're set agency side um so i think that's definitely one thing uh that we we've, we've worked quite hard on in terms of letting people you know know what we're doing and, and what we're working towards and how you know, the role of you know programmatic how does that fit into the wider business objectives and, and what, what we're trying to achieve as a brand so i think that's one area for sure and i think i would go back to the point that i made before i, I just think our biggest challenge is knowledge inspiration from mm. being connected with the outside world beyond spec savers really and and just making sure that that's high on everyone's agenda um, we try to bring external speakers in as much as possible just to talk about their environments and what their, what their um, exposures are that we might not be getting. Um, just making sure that we've, we're developing people as we would be if they were working across multiple pieces of business by trying to keep the, the variety as much as, as it's possible to do so. Um, but that's, that's definitely the thing that keeps me awake at night is just how you keep that external inspiration pumping through the, the agency. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's where we, we try and like liaise more with Cara in terms of like innovation yeah, sessions yeah. and what they're doing across their clients. Because, yeah, I guess you're not at the epicentre anymore, right? You can get no. you can get detached quite quickly from what's happening. So, yeah, so it's a good point. Yeah, but I guess you can still use your, your media owners to some degree, you know, come in and present on what on what you're doing that's new and interesting. And mm. you, know, you can you can rely on them to some degree to keep you up to date with that sort of sort of stuff. Yeah, and I agree. It's, it's as if you knew what questions were coming up because that's a beautiful <laughs> segue into my next question. Um, I, I think I'm going to get you on all of my podcasts because that's brilliant. I don't have to do any of the work. You're doing it for me. So, I mean, I, I spent a large portion of my early career working for media owners. Um, and back in that day uh, when everything was in black and white um, and there was dinosaurs roaming the world, um, it was very much a case of you spoke to the media agency and it was frowned upon to go to the client because why are you talking to my client? We should kind of run this. But it's, it kind of um, occurs to me now that there's a lot of ex-external agency people working at internal agencies and there's a very 
it feels a lot more fluid than it used to. So I'm just really interested to know what um, that relationship with media owners looks like now. Is it still very much run by your external agencies? Is it run more by the internal agency? Is it a, a kind of mix of the both? What does that look like? We still got our, you know, an external um, a media agency partner in Manning. So, so it's probably still quite traditional, actually, within the Specsavers model, um, that Manning's will still hold most of those conversations. But, but with a fluidity as well, um, you know, there's not there's not terribly thick black lines around everything. But I think it still um, sits within Manning's court, rightly so. Right, Richard. I think for us, because because we kind of plan and 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 buy. Uh, in-house we we very much own the relationship with with the media owners um how, however you know we would still liaise with, with Kara's teams as to kind of who they work with can we leverage anything from like a commercial point of view via Kara and um, so it is still very much kind of a, a, a two-pronged attack almost when, we, when we're um liaising with media owners but we very much hold that relationship I think it's important though because uh, you want to be kind of at the forefront of media owners minds um when it comes to partnerships and you know and value and beaters which are happening in the market so i think it's important to, to own it too i would imagine there's far more media owners than you can possibly have conversations with that would like to have a conversation with you though so how, do, how does that what does that look like you must have a pretty busy inbox yeah no it's difficult but i think working only on 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 one brand as well there's there's also less there's less scope there's opportunity to test um that as you would do agency side and there's and there's kind of uh you kind of want to work with Less is more. You want to get value from the people that you work with and let your partnerships flourish rather than spread yourself too thin and start testing, you know, all different publishers. So it's in a way, it's a little bit easier to 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 know what's right for the account and who, who's right to work with. But, yeah, it can be a bit overwhelming at times. All right, so I had a, uh, one of our publishers asked me this very question because they know that we work with a lot of agencies and a lot of clients direct saying, what, Rich, what should I do? I I'm not getting anywhere with the agency. I want to approach a client direct. What should I do? It's like, well, you're okay to, you know, I just seek permission from the agency first. If you know that the agency is is totally in control or not in control or involved, you know, you, you just it's worth just dropping the agency a message and just saying, look, I've tried to reach out to you three or four times. I'm actually just going to ping the client, the, the advertiser direct, you know. At least then you you're not stepping over them or you won't be construed as stepping over them yeah i think um i interviewed liam brennan on this podcast um the uh, innovations director at mediacom um and we speak to quite a lot of agencies uh joe gregory that works for us is ex havas and Kara, and she um she's got a lot of agency friends of course and th they basically say they're drowning in email i think since lockdown um that all of the face-to-face -face meetings have gone away all of the like mobile world congress and domexco and iab events and like lunches and drinks and like coffees and all of these sort of opportunities that used to exist to have conversations have gone away and everyone's kind of over pivoted and and started sending more email and of course if there's 300 people trying to sell to somebody and they're all sending more email it can it can be a, a bit of a nightmare so um I guess what, from my point of view, what, what I'm seeing is if you're a Google or a Facebook or a big media owner that have got a big trading deal, then you're probably going to be all right. But if you're not one of those those media owners, it, there's a lot of frustration, I think, at the moment of trying to get, get the attention of the right people to sort of kind of pitch their wares. But I suppose that's always going to be the case. And um, 
it it kind of is what it is. It's, it's it is important. Different. It is important. I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what the answer is. I remember in '99 working up to media and phones just ringing constantly and me getting really annoyed. Why is no one answering the phones? And they're like, "Well, it's just another. It will just be another media owner ringing to say we should. De- we why are you not spending with us? We've got the best media and and stuff like that." So yeah, but it might be a client. You know what you you know. So I don't if. You know, I don't. I don't know what the what the best solution is for media owners to approach clients or, or agencies anymore. I wonder what year the last phone rang in an agency. People don't use the phone <laughs> anymore, do they? <laughs> I heard a rumor once that there was an agency that were actually going to just take the landlines out. They were just going to like not have phones. And um, I don't know whether that was true or an urban myth, but um, that we we all carry around these these mobile phones with us, but we don't actually use them to make calls as much as um, as you might think. It's it's a funny one, isn't it? Weird. So, we've I mean, still got landlines, and, and all agencies I've worked in have had landlines on their desk, but I don't know the last time it ran. And when they do, it's a bit freaky, isn't it? So yeah. yeah. Ooh, what do we do with that? <laughs> well, why is it making that noise? What should we do? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So I've got a few questions um, from the wider network. I, I did a, um, I put a few posts out to let um, people know that this was happening. Uh, the first question is from Petrina Keo from Xerox, and she was asking questions around cost savings. So um, interestingly, uh, Richard, you said at the beginning that perhaps that was a business challenge that's um, that's being addressed um, through in housing. But her question was around: um, Is it the case that um, you get short to medium um, cost savings. Um, sorry, sorry, I'll, I'll start that one again. Is it the case that bringing resource in house creates short to medium cost savings and media budget efficiencies? She she tends to get the feeling that um, um, she can see a long term benefit, but is there a high cost in the in the short term in terms of I guess staffing and infrastructure in order to get it set up in the first place? It's a difficult one for me to answer because we we haven't brought everything in house suddenly, and mm. um, this has evolved from being a team that uh, started designing door drops about twenty five years ago to a team that made its own TV ad. So, uh, what I would say is, it's co- cost efficiencies aren't necessarily what, well. Cost isn't necessarily what drives us. It's making the machine more efficient that drives us, and that's not necessarily always a bottom line piece. Yeah, I guess to the question, in, in terms of cost, will, I guess, does in-housing out, yeah, that's a difficult question, to be honest. I think, obviously, there's an outlay in cost initially, but then then will that offset in the short to medium term in, in kind of what you're paying the agency? Potentially, that, that, that might be the case. There's obviously a cost associated to in-housing initially, and then I would say there's a short to medium term impact and seeing improvements if, if, if you do it right, and then that would hopefully over time offset any any costs but yeah to Nicholas point as well it's, it's about efficiencies as well it's about making it work better it's about innovation and and, and progressing and, and getting that competitive advantage so yeah the bottom line isn't necessarily only about cost. Cool Rich anything to add with your experience of working across brands and agencies? Not, not hugely as I said before it's I mean now they're much more in line with what they want to do and the, the you know it's, it's usually we usually brought in from a data point of view like we want to own this and this is how we're going to do it but then I work with a I work with a client to, to migrate I mean we're always migrating clients from agencies to other agencies so migrating them to internal is sort of part of the course really but I mean we we had one we had one client who said, right, we're going to in-house everything. We want our own DCM account. We want to do this. And we're going to do it all within a few months. 
And then they spent six weeks arguing with Google over the terms of the NDA. And you're like, this is just going to take, you know, you've, you've, you, need to, you need to figure this out. You know, you need to work out why you want it and how quickly you want it. And you need to get internal legal teams on board. You need finance on board and everything else before you pull the trigger. Okay, cool. So next question is from Ross Webster, um, ex-IBM and now a DPO consultant. And he asks, um, has um, bringing, has in-housing allowed you to address the standards around data ethics? Well, in terms of, what does he, what does he mean by data ethics? That's a great question. Um, I'm murdering these questions. I should have probably... Okay. Um, Maybe he means something around governance, around GDPR, or just whether or not we're managing our data better because we own it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if we if we look at the data piece more more generally, um, Richard, you mentioned about um, when everything's inside an agency, it can be a bit of a black box. Have you found um, that perhaps um, the transparency around the data that you're using... Um, have you found that that is has been a benefit um, as you've got more control over it? Can you see it a little bit better? Can you manage it a little bit better? Can you make? Yeah, it I think changes? yeah. There's more trans. There's more kind of ownership in like your your first party data and and, and how you kind of ingest it into the ecosystem and how you'd use that. Um, there's more visibility of what's going on. If, I guess if you're working with a, with a DMP, there's much more visibility about you know how and how you can work with that data. But then in terms of the data you're using, kind of second and third party data, I guess you've got more control of who you work with and and you have more input and say into into the partners that you work with from a data point of view. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so there was the um, the kind of quite famous, I suppose, ISBA and PwC study, wasn't there, that came out last year. Yeah that looked at the programmatic ecosystem and um, they could only really find a, a very small proportion of it from start to finish. And yeah. about 50% of the revenue was making its way from the advertiser to the publisher. And the rest of it was for want of a better term, ad tech tax. So has, has that, um, has that improved for you? Would you say that if you were, if you were sat on the receiving end of um, your, your advertising budgets, would you say that more of your, budget is making its way to publishers would you say that you'd, you'd have a if if that audit was to happen again would you say and, and they were to audit um let's say Specsavers and Vodafone would you say that it would be a lot more transparent it would be a lot more easy to um kind of audit and would there be a, a kind of maybe a, a higher flow of money towards publishers I think the industry are working to to get to that point so Vodafone are part of that is study and yeah it's, it's it, it is it was it was quite worrying the results that you know 52 percent or publisher of advertiser of revenue didn't reach the publisher. And I always compare that to like, if you took out a double page spread in a, in a, in a magazine and you was only, you saw only half printed, it's kind of a worrying trend. But I think that's, that's A, because the programmatic is kind of was in its infancy and it's, it's now moved on to its maturity phase. And I think the ecosystem sell side and buy side have realized that transparency is key to kind of long-term success. So I think what we're seeing is advertisers and agencies asking questions of, you know, suppliers, SSPs and tech partners, and they're kind of heeding those those calls and, and working collaboratively to ensure that, you know, there's transparency in regards to that aspect. And I think we are working towards that. And I think to answer your question, yes, I think I think we would see now that there's more um, revenue hitting the publisher as, as expected. Nicola, any thoughts on that? Not one we can really answer because we still have all of our media um, bought externally. Right. So it's that because we've not been on the on that journey. 
uh, it's not one I can answer. Okay. Rich, anything to add on that one? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with Rich. And it's great that it is helping to, to clear it all up and put more money in publishers, publishers pockets. You know, the, you know, the, the way that they're selling media programmatically has smartened up a bit and the way it's being bought is, is a lot better and it's all a lot more transparent and, uh, and long may that continue. And it's going to take, it's going to take more emphasis from the, from the client with the money, uh, to, to make sure it's spent sort of ethically and filters filters down appropriately without, you know, 75 different tech providers taking a percent on the way through. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of benefits to our, our current world, obviously, and programmatic's fantastic in so many ways. But at the risk of sounding old, when I first started in media, we used to sell newspaper ads to brands. And um, if they spent £100, about £85 of it would come to the publisher. And then the agency would take about 15% for the planning and the buying. And it was a much simpler time. And it, and it, is, uh, it is worrying that only 50% of the money spent on media actually gets to the media owner. Um, uh, it's kind of uh, it's got away with itself, the programmatic ecosystem, a little bit, isn't it? It's a bit of a beast and uh, not, not necessarily... Um, helpful in a lot of ways but uh, there we go my next question is not strictly about um in housing actually but um we'll ask it anyway so it's from Anna Marie Whiteside from Ad Colony and she asks um as retailers and marketers how have you had to adapt how you sell and market your products through three lockdowns oh that's a big question isn't it <laughs> Well, <laughs> telecom te to be honest telecoms it, it's 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 not got away with it but it's it's probably an industry that has probably been least affected because obviously everyone's still at home online and using their phone so there's obviously been um roaming for example obviously no one's going away so from a roaming point of view i think um that's obviously been nipped in the bud but like generally speaking i i from, from a vodafone point of view anyway it, it um made the decision to carry on going I think you you adjust the way you communicate and your message and your comms, in that sense, and how you how you the tone and how you speak to the consumer. But um, yeah, lucky to say that I think telecoms is one of those industries which has got away a bit lightly. I think from a, a specsavers perspective, we have we've lent like you always would, but of course it's more fluid, isn't it? We've lent into the cultural context. Um, as much as we can but that's been changing on a month by month basis so that's meant fluidity agility all those magic words um so um just being far more responsive and again i think this is where being in-house is just um it's a game changer because you can get so much done quicker um so we have we've set up under our cmo catherine we've set up an editorial board uh, that meets daily to talk about what we might want to put out just to move to a more of a publishing model, to be honest, around how we talk to our uh, various audiences and how we communicate. So I think it's just, it has changed the way we, we work internally. It'll be really interesting because I think we're all determined not to go back to the way it was before and to take some of those learnings. But, but uh, yeah, it's been a journey that we're still on. Yeah. I'd imagine um, so if, if sample size of one, but I think about things that I would want to buy online and not. If I'm going to get the new iPhone, I know what the new iPhone is going to be like. Um, one is very much the same as the other. Uh, the specs you can see online. And so I'd have no problem going to 
um, Vodafone, if I was a Vodafone customer going to Vodafone and saying, right, I'll buy that and have it delivered to my home. I guess with glasses, there's the whole eye test and getting, yeah. making sure you've got the right prescription. So I guess that's more challenging to switch to an online model, is it? It is. I mean, during the first lockdown, we were open for urgent and essential care only. Um, the last two lockdowns, we are a healthcare provider, so we're open as and when people need us. Right. Um, taking a lot of the pressure off the NHS in the um in the eye health sector. So um, we've seen people as and when they've needed to see us. I think that's what's been really important. Uh, people who are comfortable in the e-commerce space, people who are ordering contact lenses, they've, they've you know, that's, they've used our, our e-commerce facilities more than they probably would have. Um, but, but as I say, I think unlike a lot of retailers, we are a healthcare provider. So we've had a pretty fundamental role to play um, for over the last few months. I guess it's about selling different things. I mean, as you say, Mike, if you're going to ring Vodafone and go, I want an iPhone 12, send me an iPhone 12, and you're going to do it. But if you wanted a, if if you were tempted by a Samsung phone, you're going to want to see it and you're going to want to feel it and you're going to and you're going to want to know how it feels in your hand, what weight it is, and things like that. So, you know, with that in mind, it's a, they've got to then try and find a way of changing changing your brand habits. It's the same with glasses. If you if you break your glasses now, you're just going to ring Specsavers and go, "Can you just send me what you sent me last time?" You know, <laughs> so there's there's going to be that. It's, it's how do you how do you push different things into people's hands? That's not yeah. the norm. Yeah, for sure. I think if you know exactly what it is you're ordering, it's a lot easier. If you, if there's any sort of nuance to it, like fashion, for example, if if I want to buy clothes, I don't really want to buy them online because you can't really you can't feel it. You don't know what the weight is. Does it feel quality? You know, like does it fit well and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've had many fashion disasters by ordering online and not being happy when it comes up. Sorry, my calendar's pinging. That's annoying. Um, so final question. Thank you. Um, it's been really interesting, um, uh, really interesting chat. Thank you again uh, very much for your time, everyone. Uh, final question would be, if you um, had one piece of advice that you would give to either a brand or an agency that is either about to start on this journey or think thinking about this journey, what would that piece of advice be? I think I would just say, think about why you're doing it. You know, d- decide up front what's your driver for doing this. Is it is it around cost efficiency because that gives you one lens? Is it around broader efficiencies? Is it about control? But just deciding what your kind of your north star for success is, I guess. Um, and um, yeah, embrace it because it is an it's an interesting journey. Fantastic, Richard. Yeah, and and just to add to that, and ha- have the end goal in sight. Just really, really have like plan out where you want to be in six months, twelve months, twenty four months, and understand. And also not to underestimate like the gravitas of, of what you're doing. Like from an operational point of view, from a cultural point of view, you're ingesting a, a department within you know which didn't exist before, and that's maybe that's up to 10, 20, 30 people. So just to to really um, think through uh, the task in hand. Yeah, I'd say that you've got to you've got to work backwards, haven't you? You've got to. It's the same with with anything to do with what we do in ad serving. If you put rubbish into an ad server, you'll get rubbish out. You know, you've got to know what the result, what results you want to work to work to work into what goes in it in the first place. And it's the same throughout this process of in in housing and migrating. Yeah, I'm a big fan of starting with the answer with any project that you you undertake. Start with the answer and work backwards. 
Fantastic. Nicola, Richard and Rich, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed that uh, conversation. I will um, put this onto LinkedIn. If anyone had any questions that I didn't get to today, um, Nicola, Richard and Rich have very kindly um, agreed to monitor the LinkedIn post and answer anything um, in there um, as and when you, you ask questions. So thanks for listening. Um, once again, Nicola, Richard, Rich, thank you so much for your time. Have a lovely day. Stay safe and uh, hopefully speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Good to meet you you all. Bye.